Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Subscribe to Cast Plus to listen ad free with bonus episodes at castmedia.com slash cast plus. You can follow, rate, and review The Opportunist on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference. So thank you. This podcast contains disturbing content. Please take care while listening. On Sunday, September 19th, 2010, more than 250 people crowded inside First Baptist Church of South Daytona to remember Goldie Mae Robinson. Goldie had lived in South Daytona for over 30 years. She had friends and family who loved her and would describe her as smart and stubborn as they come. And yet, when she met Kimberly Smith, her life took a quick decline. Detectives had been able to track over $30,000 that Kim had taken from Goldie in a matter of months. In December of 2010, Kimberly Smith, who was still in jail in Orange County for a parole violation, was rearrested and charged with 34 counts of fraud and forgery. The charges included fraudulent usage of personal identification of a deceased person and criminal use of a credit card. The homicide investigation was active and ongoing, and for the next year and a half, Fred Roberts waited for answers to the only question he really cared about now. How did Goldie die? Fred was reeling with feelings of sadness, anger, and regret. This woman has lied to me. I I guess it's part of me being a little gullible, naive. Uh, I let it go on for so long, believing this woman. I blame myself almost. Fred told me that it was difficult to face the reality that his mother was gone. And while there was nothing he could do to change that, he did hope for justice. But really, the thing that he desperately wanted more than anything was to know how his mother died. He said, if you've never been in his shoes, it might not make sense, but it felt like he couldn't find peace without knowing. I had a meeting in the police station. He said, I just want to tell you a few things. You know, how she died. Well, we really don't know how she died. But there's one thing that I can tell you. That there was no bruising. There was no stab marks. There was no gunshots. Her body had not been abused before her death. At that point, that's when I could take a breath of fresh air or, or stale air. I couldn't, didn't have to bite air off no more. My mom was gone. I had to accept that. Now we need to find out what was the cause of death. I got to get justice for her. How did she die? What happened? That was my next question. And what kind of answers were you getting to that question? I ain't got no answers to it. None. Zero. The medical examiner's report for Goldie Robinson lists her cause of death as unknown. And yet, right below that, it says, manner of death, homicide. 
While neither cause of death could be determined, the deaths of Goldie Robinson and Arthur Sheldon were both ruled as homicides. He did list the manner of death as homicide, but the manner of death serves us no good without the cause of death, or at least until we can get enough evidence to to show a cause of death or to support homicide charges. From Cast Media, this is The Opportunist. This is Season 8, Episode 5, Kimberly Smith, A Breath of Stale Air. I'm Hannah Smith. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. There is one final recorded interview with Kim in the police report. It's the only one that I have of detectives speaking to Kim after she was charged. It's long, over three hours. And it's filled with Kim avoiding hard questions and flowering stories with irrelevant details. The detectives seem sort of exhausted, honestly, like they don't believe much of what she says. At one point, one of the detectives must have yawned or something because Kim says, am I boring you? But they continue to interview her because the truth of the matter is they don't have enough to confidently bring murder charges against her. They need her to talk on the off chance that she might reveal something. And so they ask her yet again, what happened to Goldie Robinson? What happened to Arthur Sheldon? Kim maintains that she and Arthur were in love and were going to get married because Arthur wanted to take care of her financially. But the only reason why we were going to get married was because he wanted to leave everything to me, his life insurance, everything to me. The detectives ask, if you were so in love with Arthur, if you were his caretaker, if you were spending every day with him, how is it possible that you know nothing about his death? How is it possible that you know nothing about when he died or how he died or what happened to his body after he died? I don't know if Kim felt the pressure of being charged with fraud, if she was worried that perhaps the investigators actually had something on her. But instead of saying she doesn't know, this time she gives them an answer. She says that her boyfriend David was jealous of the love she had for Arthur. David did something to Arthur, and I don't know exactly what he did. (laughs) He was so bad. He was so bad. He was so drunk. I don't even know. He drinks a lot. David? He was so bad. About what? Me and Arthur. Kimberly tells the detectives that David was growing more and more jealous of her relationship with Arthur. And then one day, he found some love notes from Arthur in one of Kim's dresser drawers, and he freaked out. 
she thought they smoothed things over until one day she was out running errands. They called me on the phone and told me, how long before you're home? I said, oh, about 20 minutes or so. I said, I got to stop and get milk, bread, cigarettes, and I'll, I'll be home. I'm in Holly Hill. He said, all right. I said, is everything okay? He said, no, everything's not okay. I think uh, Arthur's not feeling so well. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, if anything happens, call an ambulance and tell him to come get him. Kim said a few minutes later, David called her back and said, Arthur was feeling better. Don't worry. So she finished her errands. But by the time she got home, David told her Arthur had died and an ambulance had already come to collect his body. And he tells me, he says to me, oh, you're too late. I said, what do you mean I'm too late? He said, the ambulance already came and got him. He must have had a heart attack. They don't know. They have no idea. So I was like, what? I'm going to go. I got to go to the hospital. I'm freaked out. I got to go to the hospital. And I'm going back out. Dave grabs me and holds me and says, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. It's too late. It's too late. It's too late. Kim tells detectives that at the time she believed David, but in hindsight, she wonders if David did something to Arthur and lied to her about calling an ambulance. She never comes out and says it directly, but she's definitely implying that David must have killed Arthur while she was running errands. I never even knew he was in the backyard until I see it on the freaking news. And y'all are telling me he's in the freaking yard. I knew he was dead. Yeah, I knew. But I didn't know he was in my back freaking yard. Who would even imagine that? I don't think the detectives believe Kim's story. First of all, They've interviewed her on multiple occasions for months, and she's lied to them too many times to count. Secondly, there are at least four witnesses who have told the detectives that Arthur Sheldon died in a motel room in Orange City in January of 2009, and Kim was left alone with his body. But Kim insists that she wasn't involved. Kim isn't ready to move on. She states, again, the last person to see Arthur alive was David, not her. She's trying to pin everything on David, and she doesn't seem to mind if her daughter-in-law, Crystal, gets caught in the crossfire. And then they move on to talk about the minivan. The minivan is important. Detectives had discovered through looking at bank records that in May of 2010, Goldie bought two vehicles from a Mitsubishi dealership. She walked into that dealership with Kim, who she introduced as her daughter to the salesperson. That day, Goldie purchased a gold Hyundai sedan and a green Ford minivan for a total of over $32,000. Both vehicles were frequently used by Kim and her family, but then were towed and taken into custody as evidence after Goldie disappeared. And when the minivan was searched, investigators discovered a roll of gray duct tape. They didn't think too much of it at the time, until Goldie's body was found. Her remains were wrapped up and secured with gray duct tape. But Kim didn't know any of that. 
and the detectives asked her who usually drove the minivan. Kim said she did. And the minivan was essentially being used by you. I know most of the ATM transactions, we could see you're driving that car. Most of them, yeah. Most, okay. most of the time, yeah. And then they tell her that there is evidence that ties the minivan to Goldie's gravesite. And immediately, Kim changes her story about the minivan. There was evidence found in the car that was also found in the grave where Goldie was. In the car? What car? In the minivan. So, a prudent person would come to the conclusion that whoever had access to the minivan had something to do with burying the body. Well, let's just say this. I'm not the only one that drove the minivan. Kim says, actually, David always wanted to drive whatever car she was driving. So David drove the minivan. She also said sometimes Crystal or Adam would borrow the minivan without asking. The bottom line is this, okay? And I don't think we're at the truth yet. The bottom line is this. Well, maybe we are, maybe we're not. But we're not there yet. The bottom line is this. We can prove that their credit cards were being used after death and before death, okay? And the group of you were involved. Okay? These two bodies got there by someone, if not all, connected with the group of people, including yourself. Okay. That's what you're telling me, but I had nothing to do with either one of the bodies. Well, I wish I could believe you. I told you the 100% truth about Arthur. There is no doubt about my mind. I'm not questioning your, your truthfulness with regard to your relationship with Arthur. I have, I do not. I'm not prepared to challenge you on that, nor would I. I think you did have feelings for him. Oh, boy. Okay? I did, a lot. But that still doesn't explain how he got where he got. I don't know how he got there. Kim continued to insist that she had no idea how Goldie or Arthur ended up buried next to her trailer. She had indicated that David did something to Arthur, but she wasn't sure what. And then... Finally, she talks about Goldie and what happened to her. Subscribe to Cast Plus to listen ad-free with bonus episodes at castmedia.com slash cast plus. You can follow, rate, and review The Opportunist on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference. So thank you. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger 
for the ones who get it done. This is Kimberly Smith's account to detectives about what happened to Goldie Robinson. Kim says she originally met Goldie when she was outside gardening. They both loved flowers. And then she says Goldie just became like part of their family, spending holidays with them and becoming like a grandma to Crystal and Adam's two young children. And then once Elaine moved out, Goldie wanted Adam and Crystal and their kids to move in with her. Kim makes it sound like Goldie almost adopted them as her family. She bought Adam a suit for a job interview and baked everyone fudge. She said then Goldie decided she wanted to do some repairs and renovation on her trailer, and she wanted Kim to help her do that. So Kim found a couple of guys to do the work, Ricky Long and Bob Kirky. Then Goldie decided that that's what she wanted to do all the work. Well, there was a lot of stuff. They had to put the carpet up, do a bunch of stuff. They had to replace the whole floors in the back room back there. And she said everything was going well until late July 2010 when Goldie got heat stroke. She got sick. She got a little bit of heat stroke. And she was thrown up. And then I said, you want me to take you to your doctor's office? You want me to take you to emergency room? No, you don't want to take me to emergency room. Kim says that Goldie didn't want to go to the doctor, but Kim called the doctor and was told to give her fluids and let her rest. This was right around the time that Goldie's niece, Donna, paid her a surprise visit. If you remember, Donna said that she found Goldie in a deep sleep and she could not rouse her. Kim originally stated to detectives that Goldie was so out of it when Donna visited because she had taken some meds to help her sleep. But in this interview, she stated Goldie was out of it because of the heat stroke. And, you know, everybody was watching her for about a week. Good, about a week, good. And she would be fine. As a matter of fact, she was up making candy. That was her specialty, making fudge. And she, she was, seemed okay, fine. She would get tired and she'd fall asleep on the couch or she'd go back and lay in her room but she didn't like to miss too much. So she liked to sit out front. The story goes on for about 10 minutes. Kim says Goldie was sick and then got better. The point of the story seems to be that Goldie decided to sleep on the couch after this so that people could watch her and she could be around everyone. And then Kim starts talking about how her son Adam and his wife Crystal are addicted to pain pills, which the detectives already knew. They would go in there and get their scripts for their Roxy cottons or whatever they... I don't know if they brought the code on or off the cotton. I'm not 100% positive. She goes on and on. But they say that this is the worst medication that you can take in the world to get addicted to, especially if you're snoring, like cocaine. Until the detective interrupts her. This is the worst. Hold on a second now. Are you getting to... And finally, Kim gets to the point, which is that the day before she was arrested for her parole violation, which was August 10th, her son Adam and daughter-in-law Crystal woke her up at one in the morning to tell her that Goldie was gone. Gone and dead or gone disappeared? Disappeared, gone. Okay. 
I said, what the heck? When did you see her last? Adam told me he went to the shower. Crystal was out there. Golden was asleep. Crystal was doing Xanax, which is where the Xanax thing comes from. Mm -hmm. I should note here that although Goldie's cause of death could not be determined, there was Xanax found in her system, which Kim knew. Goldie did not have a history of taking Xanax, nor did she have a prescription for it. She said she took her Xanax pill and broke it, set it on the uh, coffee table. Adam calls her for underwear and clothes. They're in the dryer. She gets up, she goes to the dryer, she comes back. She told me that she does not know if Goldie took her pills by state because she takes a half a tablet for her thyroid and they look almost close, she said. Kim stated that when Crystal got up from the sofa to bring Adam, who was in the shower, clean clothes, Goldie mistakenly took Crystal's Xanax and then wandered out of the house and away into the night. Kim said no one called the police because they were worried about Adam and Crystal being arrested for having Xanax illegally. So if Goldie really wandered off, why did Kim tell everyone, including the detectives, that Goldie had gotten married and was on her honeymoon? And why did Crystal and Adam and David all repeat the same story? Well, Kim doesn't really have an answer for that. But honestly, I don't even know that it matters at this point because the detectives know this entire account is fabricated. They have been able to determine that Goldie died on or around July 9th, which is an entire month before Kim claims she wandered off in the middle of the night. Goldie Robinson was dead long before August 8th or August 9th. And the two things are sure. One, she was buried in in the yard next to your house. That's a fact. And number two, you're using her credit cards after her death. That's a fact. Kim also mentions Ricky Long, the man who did some day laboring on Goldie's trailer. He helped install new windows. Kim said that Ricky and his wife spent a lot of time with Goldie leading up to her disappearance. Crystal mentioned them as well, along with Bob Kirkey, the other guy who did work on Goldie's trailer. When detectives asked Crystal who she thought could have helped Kim move the bodies, Crystal said maybe Ricky or Bob Kirkey, since they were working around Goldie's trailer a lot. Adam said the same thing, as did David Enos. But detectives interviewed Ricky, his wife, and Bob Kirkey, but didn't find a reason to suspect them. It seems much more likely that Kim, David, Adam, and Crystal were trying to save themselves by implying it could have been Ricky or Bob. Because here's the thing. The scheme that Kim had going, that David and Adam and Crystal all helped her with, was even bigger than Goldie and Arthur. Russell's direct express card is used. Russell lives at the house, yes. Russell didn't use his card that day. You did. Russell's card is used because I've got a video of you at Port Orange. Public. Russell never. Listen to me. Listen to me. Jessica's card is used as well as Goldie's American Express card is used for a cash advance of $400. If you recall in episode one, I mentioned that when detectives searched Kim and David's trailer, 
they found two elderly people living there. One of them was a man named Russell Ryback. The man Kim claimed was married to Goldie Robinson, which, of course, he wasn't. The other person was a woman named Jessica Moses Malik. And during the investigation, detectives discovered that Kim had taken control of both Russell's and Jessica's finances. She had opened two credit cards in Jessica's name and was actively using them. She received and controlled both of their monthly Social Security benefits. When detectives interviewed Jessica, she told them that Kim regularly administered her medication and she suspected that Kim was drugging her because she always felt unusually groggy and tired after taking pills that Kim gave her. Law enforcement removed Russell and Jessica from Kim's trailer, and they were relocated by the Department of Children and Families. These people were being drugged so they would be compliant and just go along with whatever scheme you had working for them. And Whatever. You're just saying something that's not even true now. Just as Jessica relayed to the investigators, there are multiple people who recounted seeing both Arthur and Goldie in sluggish, sedated states. Cody Cantu said this about Arthur in that motel in Orange City. Goldie's niece Donna said this about Goldie when she popped by for a surprise visit on what may have been one of the last days of Goldie's life. We know Kim had access to painkillers and other drugs because she was supplying them to Adam and Crystal. So perhaps she was meeting elderly people, gaining their trust, and then sedating them with drugs as she took control of their finances. I don't know if she planned on Arthur dying or if he died of natural causes since he was ill, but Goldie wasn't. She was healthy and alert until Kim Smith came into her life. And I have to wonder if Kim had her next victims lined up. Russell, and Jessica. I mean, it's a good theory. And yet, there is very little concrete evidence to prove anything beyond the financial fraud. We have a job to do. And the job is to get to the truth. And we're not there yet. I told you. You've told us a lot of things, Kimberly. And and some of it may or may not be true, but you know what? We're not at the full truth. But the fact of the matter is, it's not over. And it's not going to be over until we get the truth. Okay? And right now, it's not just an exploitation and a major fraud case. It's a homicide case. After three-plus hours of interviewing Kimberly, the detectives walked away with hardly any new leads or information. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you 
with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. While the homicide investigation continued, Kim Smith was arraigned and booked for the 34 charges of fraud and forgery. Nicole Luca was there. And I remember thinking that she looked very tired and just almost like worn out. It's hard to keep up with all those lies. There was so many lies that she had to keep up with. You know, one little lie builds onto another lie that builds. And then how do you remember years of lying to investigators? And so I just thought it's all coming, it's all going to come to a head here. And she must feel some sense of relief. She doesn't have to keep up with her lying anymore, you know, but... Obviously, she wasn't speaking um, to police about about the deaths, so she's still probably going to die with secrets, I'm sure. Ultimately, the investigation hit a wall. While it's true that the case could have gone to trial, there was a lack of direct evidence. And the fact that there was more than one person involved only complicated it. How could a jury be convinced that Kimberly Smith had committed homicide when there wasn't any physical evidence tying specifically her to the crime? Is it possible that someone else did it? David Enos or Adam Smith or Crystal Smith or someone else? To add to this uncertainty, the summer of 2011, just down the road in Orlando, Casey Anthony was found not guilty of murdering her two-year-old daughter. You may remember this case. It got a lot of media attention, and the outcome was shocking to many. As the verdict for each count is read, expression here gets louder. For some, it's a sign of a justice system that failed. The case against Casey Anthony relied heavily on circumstantial evidence. There wasn't enough direct evidence to convince a jury to convict. And this had prosecutors in Kim Smith's case very worried because Kim's case similarly had very little direct evidence. There were no eyewitnesses and there was no forensic evidence tying Kim directly to the deaths. And uh, the district attorney asked me or told me that, you know, Fred, I cannot guarantee you what the judge is going to say. I cannot guarantee you what 12 jurors will say. She said, but we've come up with this flea bargain. We're going to give her 15 years without parole. And then we'll have time to work on the, the murder case. Fred's daughter, Stacia, also spoke to the district attorney about the plea deal. And I remember her saying, I hate to do this because I know we all know what she did. And it scares me to think that if they come back with not guilty, she'll walk. And she's already walking for the murder of two people. Kim took the plea deal, 15 years in prison, with 10 years of probation after release. And during her probation, she is prohibited from being around anyone over the age of 65. Her sentencing hearing took place in August of 2012. 
Fred was given a chance to speak directly to Kim Smith. They flew me down, and I was uh, I said my piece in the in the courtroom. She stood there and didn't say a word, didn't even utter a word. Of course, she wasn't supposed to, but uh, and I tell a lot of people that I look the devil into the eyes. She has taken something from me that is more precious than life. That's your mother. That's your mother. And one reporter down there asked me, how do you feel about all this? And please excuse my language, but uh, I said, how in the fuck do you think I feel? That's my mother. Put yourself in my place and it'd be your mother. What, how would you feel? And she just said, I'm sorry, and turned around and walked off. And I, I don't think she did another interview with me again. Uh, she's probably a nice lady, but uh, she hit me at the wrong time and said the wrong words. My mother's gone. She's dead. This, how, how do you think I feel? Stacia was also there in the courtroom that day. So I remember he did tell her that I hope she burns in hell, I think he said, <laughs> uh, which is horrible. Um, but, you know, he just, he really was telling her how, you know, you I trusted you and um, you did this to me and, you know, I'll never forgive you and you took my mom away. Um, so some real heartfelt things, but he was up there for some time. And the judge just let him go. And she never looked at him. And what did you think of her sentence? You know, I think the judge said it best is the judge actually said something along the lines of, um, we all know that there's something more sinister going on here. We just can't prove it. We're not sitting up here talking about uh, some fraud cases. We know what you did. Um, so it was kind of refreshing for him to say that. Robin Ackner also attended Kim's sentencing hearing. Her mother, Alice, did not want to speak, so Robin gave a statement instead. You know, I talked to Kimberly. I, I looked right at Kimberly, um, and I told her, you know, I'm sure you don't feel any guilt, but you should, and you've ruined people's lives. And what did you, how did you feel when the sentence was read? I would have liked to see her in jail for life, you know, so she couldn't hurt anybody else, because, you know, when you get away with stuff, and, and I know she didn't get away with this, but she got away with so many other things, um, you know, you have a tendency to just keep doing it, to keep getting away. And what's to say she's not going to find some other scam? Robin said the entire saga was hard on her mother, that she never really recovered financially, and she passed away a few years later. Robin thinks that her mother ultimately was heartbroken by Arthur's death. Robin herself never liked Arthur all that much, but she still wants to see justice for what she believes was his murder. Even though I didn't have any loving feelings towards him, it didn't mean that he deserved to die in a motel, you know, and carried out in a rug. <laughs> it's, it's, it, you know, um, I think that everybody, no matter how bad they are, um, is allowed to have some kind of dignity at the end. So, do I feel sorry for him? Uh, no. 
do I think uh, karma, you know how they say karma gets to you in the end? I think karma came around. And I'm sorry that it happened that way. It's, it's sad. It's just sad. It would be nice to not have somebody else's family go through the same thing that, that we went through or, or Goldie's family went through. Alice and Fred were both awarded restitution for the financial fraud committed against their loved ones. Fred told me he was awarded about $30,000, but has yet to see any of that money. Even though Fred understands why Kim was offered a plea deal, it doesn't make it easy. Because at the end of the day, he believes that his mother was murdered. There's two bodies found 20 feet from this woman's front door. And she is a self-appointed caregiver to both of these people. And they're found dead and buried in her backyard. And there's no murder charges. What am I missing? What am I missing? Uh, People who have been convicted of murder for less than that. Fred still hopes for resolution, for a break in the case. Currently, there is not an active investigation going on. But of course, if new information came to light, that would change. The arrests were made and the prosecution on the on the financial crimes are closed. But if if new information comes available for the for the death investigation, then yes, that absolutely 100% would be addressed. I can only speak to my point of view of it. Do I believe that there was foul play? Absolutely. But in this line of work, we can suspect or know, we can even know something. But if we can't prove it, that's a whole other story. Um, Do I think that this was a homicide? Yes, absolutely. But until we can get enough evidence or somebody comes forward and says, this is how it happened, you know, here's your evidence, or I saw it, or I I knew about it, or, you know, until we can get some new evidence or some new information, the homicides probably won't get prosecuted in the near future. And, you know, the other question that rings in my mind is, were these the first two people that she took advantage of like this? How many people out there may have lost money to Kim Smith? So is the idea that probably Goldie Robinson and Arthur Sheldon were not her first victims? Well, it, this is just strictly my my opinion, but um, she just seemed to have the system down too well for that to be her first time. And what do you mean by the system? Um, the way that she operated, the way that she befriended them, the way that she gained their trust, the way that she got into their finances. It just seemed to go way too smoothly in her favor. Um for it to be the first time she's tried it, in in my opinion. I, I have no nothing to back that up right now. That's just an observation. If you have any information about the deaths of Arthur Sheldon or Goldie Robinson, you can reach out to Detective Sergeant McCracken at the South Daytona Police Department. Goldie Mae Robinson was not a pushover. She was feisty and had a mind of her own. And yet she was defrauded. She believed Kimberly Smith and was alienated from her best friend of 30 years, Elaine, and from her own son. And when I spoke to Fred about this, it's something that he still has a hard time wrapping his mind around. How could his mother have fallen for the scam? 
My mom was street smart. She was smart as a whip. And for this woman to move in and, and manipulate her the way she did, I would have bet money, thousands and thousands of dollars, that she could have never done that to my mom. But she did. So I have put a lot of that behind me. I haven't forgot any of it. It's kind of funny because I can't tell you what I did yesterday so much, but I can tell you what happened 13 years ago. It's burnt into my mind. Call your mother in my situation. I can't call my mom no more. She's gone. Call your mom. Call your dad. Uh, it happens to men just as well as women. I know you got a life uh, to take care of. I had a life to take care of. If I could go back to 2010, oh, I'd go back in a second. And this would be a whole lot different story. Nicole Luca retired from journalism before Kim Smith's sentencing hearing, but she said the story has always stuck with her. I guess the family just, you know, they have they left a place in my heart, so this case kind of left a little place in my heart. And because it was just, I was so committed to it, and I just thought I would see it through. And you know, when you don't see a, a case from the beginning to the end, and you don't get to see it through, you kind of always have that curiosity: is what ever happened? Is anyone covering it anymore? Is there any new developments? Is anyone charged with murder? <laughs> I mean, I still to this day wonder if 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 they will. Um, I know that she's up for parole, I believe, this year. So that's a scary thought. On December 13th, 2010, Adam and Crystal Smith were arrested and charged with fraudulent use of personal identification information of a dead person and fraudulent use of a credit card and forgery. They had both used Goldie Robinson's credit cards on multiple occasions after Goldie died. Crystal was sentenced to three years of drug offender probation and mandatory participation in a drug court program. Adam was sentenced to three years drug offender probation. David Enos was charged with dealing in stolen property. Evidence had come to light that he removed the generator from Goldie's trailer and pawned it without permission or consent. There was a warrant out for his arrest, but he had fled Florida and was in Pittsburgh. Authorities in Pittsburgh located and arrested David on December 16, 2010. He was sentenced to four years probation. In about one month from this episode release, on October 18, 2023, Kimberly Don Smith will be released from prison. She did not respond to our interview request. This season of The Opportunist was produced by me, Hannah Smith, along with Natalie Gregory and Sarah Dalgleish. Colin Thompson is our executive producer, editor, and music editor. Matt Sewell mixes and masters the show. Our cover art is by Joel Hassemeyer. Thank you to Stel Klein for the tape sync. You can email us at theopportunist at castmedia.com. That's cast with a K. And we have merch for sale at theopportunistpodcast.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.